0: Back in 1874, Harold Achies, well, I knew. I, I'm going with the phonetic on this one. Was born today in. I took in out. Oh, okay. And you said Roosevelt secretary. There out? were two Roosevelts, so I think we need to specify the Roosevelts just to be clear.
1: Uh, fair enough. Good. Okay. She took in out.
0: I took in out. That's hmm. right. You know there. Oh. And I'm glad <laughs> <that> you. <laughs> I'm glad he stopped mangling czar because it was TZ. I'm waiting for a
1: DCS. You know, there's a cartoon. It uh, has some Egyptians <laughs> putting hieroglyphs on the side of a Oh, pyramid, that's funny. And it has one of the guys saying, you can't end a sentence in Little Bird. Ancient it's a
0: visual. You have to, yeah.
1: Ancient Grammar Police. Mm-hmm. You had to be there, I guess.
0: Yeah. Because they had that little bird symbol. Little that? Bird, mm-hmm. yeah. Bird. Yeah, because... Can't end a It's a visual two. joke. You, you just... Little bird. Little bird. Little
1: bird. Bird.
0: The needle stuck. Bird is the word.
2: I was just about to say oh, that. Oh, man.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. Now I got Peter Griffin in my head. <laughs> oh, my God. Who the hell
1: cares?
0: Oh, great. Now that part's going through my head. Yeah.
1: They had a whole thing on uh, the science behind earworms you know why things get stuck in your ear and uh, it's because they don't complete your brain looks for the completion of a sentence and uh, these earworms don't have sentence completion at the end oh, i
0: there. didn't hear a word you said all i got was inventor of the shish kebab and there's uh the all i got was crunch-
2: all i got was crunching of nerds in the microphone can,
1: can you can you hear the mic, uh the
2: no it just turned off oh okay i can hear it i don't know if the mic picks it up no let me let me turn it off just in- you know you're going to have to get over this because when we move to vegas that's not going to be an option
3: <laughs> absolutely is not why we got saying isn't that why we got these
2: mics he has yet to try recording with it on so i don't know Oh. Just because we can hear it doesn't mean the microphones are picking it up.
1: True. Yeah, we spent good money on good microphones.
3: So why don't we try it with the air conditioning on?
2: Okay,
1: we- I'll go turn on the air conditioning.
2: <laughs> well, here will, be, here will be your test. Yes. I've been recording for three minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sometime recently, in the last minute, the AC just turned off. So when you're editing... See if you notice while you're listening to the beginning of the podcast. See if you notice the air conditioning turn off.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And then when it if kicks on. If you notice
2: it turn off, ask yourself, was I bothered by it
1: before?
3: And then when it kicks on again, see if it makes a difference.
1: Sounds good. Okay, this is an experimental podcast. No, it's not. Oh, yeah. No, it isn't.
2: 116 episodes, the experiment is over. <laughs>
1: is this, number 100? this is
2: now science fiction. Is
1: this 116 or 117? I don't know.
2: You're the one who puts the script together. You tell me. It says 116. Hold well, on. that, that's
3: one more than last week.
1: Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> hold on. It's
2: 116 more than before we started.
1: Uh, Stampshowheretoday.com.
2: Oh, dear Lord, you have to go to our website to figure it out? <laughs>
0: yes, he does. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs>
1: I don't know what
2: numbers these are. Some producer you are.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. Number 115 was Bass Reeves. So today is number 116. Okay, I got it.
0: Okay, yeah. Give it up for the CFO.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I got that right. Okay. Are we ready? Oh. Wayne Youngblood just texted me next week. We're going to try to have him out. The chicken finance officer. Out or on? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm ready for a countdown if you are.
0: I'll think about it. We'll then
3: do a count up. Be positive.
0: (laughs) Five, four, three, two, one. Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful?
3: I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps.
0: Oh.
2: This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales.
3: Rupert, what are you thinking
2: of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps.
0: Oh, like stamp collecting. Now that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yeah, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, home.
2: You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining.
0: Or if it weren't
1: for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists.
2: You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors?
1: Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you.
3: I'm Spain and two from Japan. I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan. I got a planet from Poland, but none from Sudan. I'm from Fiji or Uzbekistan.
1: Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.
0: Welcome to Stamp Show here today, episode 116.
1: I'm Cash. There are seven civilizations I will crush. And number seven will surprise you. Click here. That's clickbait.
3: I'm surprised. (laughs) And I'm not going to (laughs) click. There. (laughs) There.
2: That was Scott. This is Tom.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I thought I said I'm Scott.
2: Nope. Nope. You said I'm surprised. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you're, oh, actually, did. you're actually Scott.
3: Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm practicing being surprised today.
2: Oh, okay. Surprise, you're Scott.
0: <laughs> Surprise. You can be. Wow. Frank. You can be Frank. No, you would have to change his name then. <laughs> and I'm your host, Don. Congratulations to Ryan Johnson on his new son, Brantley. He also made a cool first day cover for his child. It shows his footprint and a Zazzle stamp with his picture. Well done, sir. And yeah, Brantley is my mother's last name. We have a lot of competition for topics on today's podcast. Today is St. Urho's Day from Finland. In 1874, Harold Ickes was born. He was Franklin Roosevelt's Secretary of the Interior that started the whole Farley's Follies thing and the Imperf Parks issue of 1935. In 1916, General Black Jack Pershing pursued Pancho Villa into Mexico. But the winner has to be... On this day in history, exactly 100 years ago today, Tsar Nicholas II abdicated his throne of Russia.
3: I thought that Saint Tsar uh, Nicholas abdicated at the end of February.
1: Ah, oh, don't give away spoilers.
3: <laughs> what spoiler? I want you to explain it. <laughs> well, stay tuned. <laughs> Besides that, I had my money on Saint
1: Errol. <laughs> yeah, I know you did.
0: What What is he the saint of?
1: Uh, Finland. He's the patron saint of Finland or something like that.
0: Well, what kind of an awesome.
1: So he's patron saint of the whole country? I think the whole country, yeah. Do your research, Google it.
0: At the end of the February Revolution of 1917, yes, you heard correctly, under the old Russian calendar, today was still February. Tsar Nicholas II chose to abdicate and drew up a new manifesto naming his brother, Grand Duke Michael, as the next emperor of all the Russias. And they all lived happily ever after the end. Uh, no. <laughs> not even close. So, anyway, St. Urho <laughs>
3: <laughs> is a fictional saint created by Finnish Americans to celebrate their heritage. Ah. Oh, it
0: kind of sounds like St. Patrick's Day.
3: But St. Patrick
0: was real. He saint was Erho real. St. Urho was not. Well, but St. Patrick did not remove the snakes from Ireland. That didn't happen.
1: Well, it's like Santa Claus. You know, he's real, but St. Nicholas or Krampus is not.
0: was there like a horror movie about that guy?
1: I think so, yeah. (laughs)
0: Living
1: up on the North Pole with his plantation full of uh, little slave elves laboring away. He gets to relax every day of the year but one one day of the year he has to work sort of sounds like me you work yeah one
0: day a year
3: (laughs) (laughs) so you were you were
0: saying about the revolution yeah meanwhile back at the russian revolution grand duke michael declined to accept the throne until the people were allowed to vote for either the continuance of the monarchy or a republic the abdication of nicholas ii and the subsequent bolshevik revolution Brought three centuries of Romanov dynasty rule to an end.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think Grand Duke Michael had a little bit more on the ball and saw the writing on the wall. Said, "I'm not becoming king."
0: Well, what I understand happened was um, he was one of the that fled Russia. Mm-hmm. He actually moved to the U.S. and he was a champagne salesman, of all things. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And I do believe that. Um, when the communist regime fell i think he did go back to russia he was kind of on the old side by that point
1: well i know that he didn't survive very long after 1917. i think you, you michael got, yeah
0: yes he did oh he did yes i just oh. yeah the whole him being a champagne salesman oh, that in was, florida
1: that was after the revolution yes
0: that was post-revolution a champagne salesman mm-hmm yeah, and he did go back after yeah in um, 1990. I think he went back to Russia. Oh. Let me see.
3: Russian royalty, champagne and caviar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else would he do? Duh. <laughs> so it's like he could move. He could move somewhere and farm. <laughs> salmon, <laughs> farm some <laughs> salmon for caviar.
0: Not in Florida, though.
1: Raise chickens and lay uh, Fabergé eggs. No. Wow. No. No.
0: No. no.
1: Mm. Cadbury. Well, he had, he had. Cadbury eggs.
0: Well, should I mention the game that um, we like to play, Caj? Is it George V or is it Nicholas II? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you can't tell the difference between the two if you Well, just you can't. The,
1: well, I can't. He <laughs> <laughs> <You> can't.
0: <laughs> sometimes it's hard, though. Depending on the picture, sometimes it's kind of hard to tell the difference. Is they, well, yeah, they are related. But they look more like brothers than they do cousins.
1: Yeah, they were cousins, right? Yes. Through uh Queen Victoria, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So.
2: I can't believe all the history you're doing and we're actually, you know, on St. Patrick's Day. You've got to cover, like, the San Patricios.
1: Well, find me a stamp with St. Patrick on it.
2: I'll look.
0: Just saying. I know. Well, see, he's on old-style Russian um, calendar, so that'll be in a couple weeks. He'll he'll get the St. Patrick one, right?
1: Yeah, it's still February. (laughs) Let's wait until March. When is St. Patrick's Day? March something? March 16th? Is that tomorrow? I don't know. When is St. Patrick's Day?
2: March 17th. It's today.
0: I think you need to be rebooted or something.
1: (laughs) Then, Then this is, hmm. Oh, I'm off then. Tsar Nicholas abdicated a day and a half ago, but it's still February. Okay, almost 100 years ago. 100 years ago minus a little itty bitty bit.
0: Now it's time for the Stamp Show here today, Museum Contribution. Given the abdication, we have put in the 1915 blue 10 kopeck stamp, Scots 105, of Tsar Nicholas II. It was printed on cardboard and was used as actual money. Before 1917, the Russian ruble was one of the world's strongest currencies, as it was backed by serious piles of gold and silver. Of course, we all know that the situation got worse. The Russian government eventually blew through their gold, and we know what happened later on. During the Great War which we know as World War I, due to inflation and other economic problems, stamps were printed on thick paper, and on the back was printed, quote, having circulation on par with silver subsidiary. Subsidiary. Subs- you had a silver subsidiary. Say it's that. It's what vibe. they
1: printed. I know. They put it there, not me. It's not my fault.
0: Okay, it is. Okay, no, it isn't your fault, but, oh, man, I should have said that. <laughs> Blah. stamps were printed on thick paper and on the back was printed quote having circulation on par with silver subsidiary <sighs> oh my god i think i just had a stroke i can't <laughs> read that
2: i found a web page with nine saint patrick stamps on it so
1: when it gets to be march i will uh put it in i'm falling back on the russian uh
0: Oh, oh, thank Calendar you, Scott. Save me. <laughs> Get phonetic for me. Thank you. Does that help? That helps, yes, it does. That's A lot. sad. It is sad. And please, when you edit it, make sure you edit out my screw up because you didn't do that on the last one.
1: I did it on purpose on the last one.
0: Don't do that. I hate when you do that. Then
1: start at the beginning with during. <sighs>
0: During the Great War, which we know as World War One, due to inflation and other economic problems, stamps were printed on thick paper and on the back was printed, quote, having circulation on par with silver subsidiary coins, unquote. They are listed in the stamp catalogs because they were sometimes used for postal purposes.
1: Yeah, the fact is they were stamps. And this was really a scheme Because uh, they had the value of the stamp, which you knew you could always use for postage. And on the back, it said it was silver. So this piece of paper was actually silver and used for postage. The problem was later on, there was no silver left and postage went up 10 times. So yeah, uh, not a really great hedge against inflation or anything like that. So
3: we did the same thing. We had fractional currency we also had encased postage, mm-hmm. both of which are basically using stamps as currency.
1: Yep. One of them was governmental and the other one was semi-governmental, would you say? Yeah, semi-governmental, yeah. yeah. What were they? Encased postage? Yeah. Tell but, them all about encased postage.
3: Encased postage, they, they used real postage stamps and then in a small coin-sized uh, holder... Usually it had a mica window, which is like a really clear uh, piece that fits over the top so you could see the stamp from the front. But the the metal uh, casing would protect the stamp. And you would trade them just like coins for the face value. And that was because there was a shortage of coins early on. (laughs) Because
1: they were made out of silver and all the silver coins disappeared.
3: Yeah. So as a result, people needed small coins they didn't, they didn't need large coins, they needed small coins. And so the 1 cent, the 10 cent, the 5 cent, these are the stamps that then became used. They became used as coinage, and at the end, you, know, you could always pry it open and use it as a
1: stamp. Yeah, so you had a guarantee of value. From the government, yes. From the government. Yeah, I, I often wonder, because I've seen a lot of them, and uh, did they used to knock off the corners? Because if you look, it's a square stamp in a round hole. They
3: didn't knock off the corners, but they were usually folded under. Oh, okay. I mean and and you look at a stamp and you can kind of tell that yeah, they had to kind of they folded it around it had to fit. Yeah, yeah. they they're f- probably they're they're folded around a, an insert so that they don't so that they fit the roundness. Mm. And uh, one one place I saw this was uh, in the inverted Jenny locket copy. Oh yeah. They Obviously, the locket is round and the stamps are not. And so what what you have when you open up the locket is you have tiny corner creases on, on the stamps because they had to, you know, that's where they get impinged on the edges of the locket. But it's the same idea here. You have to get rid of the corners or you have to bend them back to make it fit. And also, you don't want the stamp spinning around inside the right. casing.
1: Yeah, you know what I'll, always sort of – there's two things on this. First of all, they were done by companies. And well, the, the
3: adver- it was advertising on the back. Yeah. And it was a way for companies to say, oh, well, I'll provide the casing, but I'm going to put my advertising on it. Mm-hmm. And so they provided the casing free of charge to the government, thus allowing – And then allowing, you
1: put the stamps in it, and you have a $0.03 cent coin and a $0.10 cent coin and a $0.05 cent coin. and
3: But it's got your advertising on, so right. that's what pays for the – encasement
1: and we saw one here at PSE. uh it was a 30 center that was yes like never issued or something like uh, that
3: the higher values are very very rare
1: yeah but the second thing that i always thought was interesting is you know we were short because all the silver coinage disappeared why didn't they do this in the south because the south had a worse money problem than the north did the north had some coinage the south had literally none and i'm kind of always curious why they didn't do this in the southern states put a confederate stamp inside of a holder
3: my guess would be that the 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 brass and other materials that are used to make the encasements were also unavailable
1: oh that's a good point Mm -hmm. yeah
2: yeah they kind of ended up suffering a shortage of everything yeah
1: uh yeah (laughs) Or maybe they were just trading stamps without the encasing and saying, here, and everybody goes, oh, goody, a stamp that I can't use. Weren't some of the higher-value
3: Confederate stamps used as currency at one point?
0: That's what I thought I heard, too.
3: There weren't, well, there really aren't higher-value stamps. Yeah. $0.25 was the highest value, right? $0.10, I think.
1: You know, the, oh, the later twenty-five cents. Yeah, the thing. later yeah. twenty-five. But that was like at the very end of the war,
3: right? And that that was the highest value. Most yeah. of most of them were ten cents. Yeah. Well, one one word on encased postage. These are normally by the specialist guys who collect these things. They're generally collected by the advertisement on the back as well as the denomination on the front. So you might have three or four or five or more ten-cent encased postage stamps, but they'll all have different advertisements on the back
1: mm-hmm. yeah and these are very valuable right and certain ones even, are more common even common ones are expensive
3: yeah common ones can generally run around a thousand or more dollars
1: yeah well i didn't even and, know that much but i knew yeah. it was more than several hundred
3: uh yeah the really common ones can run in the you know four five six eight hundred dollar range yeah the yeah, so that's those are very common.
1: And that's what happens when coin collectors collect the same thing as stamp collectors. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: I was not incorrect.
1: Uh-oh. Of course you weren't.
2: Uh, Scott, CSA 13, the note says, this stamp was
1: also used as currency. Oh, mm-hmm. I did not know that. Interesting. Yeah, but it was never encased. Yeah, it wasn't in encased postage, but it was postal postal currency.
3: But yeah, it was used as script. Yeah. I mean, if you go to the... Go to the local general mercantile or something.
1: Whoop, whoop, whoop. Tom is raising his hands, raising the roof. Yep, because you don't have... Give yourself a hand, Tom. (laughs) I can do that. Yes, you can. Well, that's more than one. (laughs) So what's the difference between encased currency and fractional currency?
3: Well, fractional currency is actually like small-sized money, paper money. They were printed. Fractional currency was printed by the government, and it was used interchangeably with uh, paper money in place of coinage.
1: But they also showed pictures of stamps because, again, that same sort of scheme. Well, yeah,
3: they used they used the similar images on, from stamps right. on the fractional currency, so that you would associate these small notes with uh, postage and currency. And, yeah. So but it, it never, all goes into having this is a this is something that is valuable worth money yeah. worth currency.
1: But I've never seen like a fractional currency 10 cent stamp cut and used on something. I've never seen one postmarked. No. Whereas the Russian currency right. you see postmarked it's rarely it's yeah. rarely postmarked but you find them used where people actually said Oh, this is a 10-cent stamp or a 10-cent coin. I need to mail a letter today. You're a stamp. It it goes. Right. So, yeah. Let's see. Who else? Did anybody else use?
3: Oh, I'm sure there were. Yeah. I mean, anytime you have coin shortages, um, I mean, even today, I know stamp dealers who will trade a stack of postage. For, you know, that's how they pay, you know, they'll buy a collection from one guy and they'll give him postage. That is true. In trade. So, I mean, we still use it today as a a form of money.
1: Yeah, but officially sanctioned, I guess. No, this is not, obviously, it's not officially sanctioned. Yeah, you have U.S., you have Confederate that we just learned. But it has a value.
3: Yeah. And that value is stated on the face.
1: Yeah. Well, anybody else out there who uh, knows of any other postal currency, uh, put it on Facebook. Tell us on Facebook.
3: Well, another thing is, you know, in the early 20th century, a lot of times you could, if you wanted to subscribe to Linz, you could pay with postage stamps. No, and yeah. a lot of a lot of mail order companies would allow you to pay for small items with, with postage stamps. Remember, uh, or if you submitted more, if, if you sent them a dollar and your charge was like, 83 cents they would send you 7 uh, 17 cents back in mm-hmm. postage. Huh. So this was that was also used even then even though it's not sanctioned but that's what they did.
1: Well, I because have, it was
3: convenient for mailing. I have mm-hmm.
1: two stories about this. The first one when I was a teenager which was 35 years ago or 40 years ago depending on your math. Um, Is that Russian or yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Russian calendar? Um I remember going to Mexico when their inflationary period hit and their peso became valueless and they had a, a law that said that grocery stores had to give you exact change. So you would have like three pesos or eight pesos change and it was valueless and they'd hand you these like little pieces of confetti, little, little like tinfoil with little stamp numbers on it and uh, that was your change. But the other one was, uh, this was uh, more recently, I went to Egypt, and you know how we round, you're starting to see in the United States where people round to the nearest nickel and get rid of pennies. In Egypt they were doing that, but instead of rounding up to the nearest nickel, they'd actually give you a little piece of candy. So your change would be 45 cents and a piece of candy.
3: (laughs) Yeah, they they do that in the Philippines too. Oh yeah? Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've been to the Philippines five or six times, and I think it was either my second to last or last visit there. I finally saw a one centavo coin. <laughs> I mean, everybody else would round it. Yeah, and it was just a, a fluke. I ended up being in a store, and they actually gave me change in a in the form
1: of coinage. Well, you know well, that's coming here eventually.
2: My dad had a um, Victorian house many many years ago and he bought it and they were spent a lot of time fixing it up and one day he found an area that had been blocked off was an old staircase and he didn't know it was there when he bought it and he found like three paper lunch sacks Mm. on one of the stairs in this area that he uncovered one contained like a whole bunch of like Wheat pennies. Oh. One was a bunch of buffalo nickels mm. and one was a bag of um, mercury head dimes. And in one of them, he found an actual um, three cent piece.
1: Oh, cool. Wow. Yeah.
2: I don't know what he did with it. I would love to have it. If you yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Just because. I mean, how many of those do you see?
1: Well, just rolls of wheat pennies now Or you go to the coin shows and those have some significant value. I think mm. like $2.50 for a 50 cent roll.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember what they what condition they were in. It was probably in like my early teens that this happened. Yeah. So was, but I remember him having his like a paper lunch sack, and I mean it had
1: a oh, good bunch of A good bunch
2: in it. I have some yeah. of the I have some of the mercury head dimes I kept.
1: Yeah, I have a full collection of mercury heads. Cool, including a good to 1916 uh, D, which is the key value. That's one that you have to watch out for because it's faked. You know, we talk about, we never talk about fake coins, but they, uh, the D, they put a little D on it and they'll weld a D onto it to make it a different, you know, the Denver Mint. And you got to watch out for those. You got to watch out. Fakers are good. You think we have problems (laughs) in stamps? Well, that's, (laughs) we were looking at an APS poll this afternoon.
3: Yeah.
1: And this is on the side, but uh, they were talking about who uses, um, expertizing services. And of course, you know, it was beginner, intermediate, advanced. And the beginners, they don't, they just didn't use any expertizing service. And I go, well, it's because they're beginners. They don't send it, spend any money on stamps. Right. But if you spend significant money on stamps, you'd better start using some sort of expertizing service or, because the fakers are good and you have to be better than they are.
3: Right. And that is definitely a learned skill.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which sort of uh, sort of brings us into our email topic.
0: We get email, so summon the answer squad. Our thanks to Henry Gittner for continuing the conversation on Facebook. A person posted a $5 Colombian stamp, Scott's number 245. He added to the post. Definitely reperfed on four sides. So, a reperf proof, which would have come from a shaven down card proof, this usually looks odd or irregular in watermark fluid. It could also be a built up or mounted India paper proof, which will also look odd or irregular in watermark fluid. There are still plenty of complete sets of Colombian card proofs around, much less so of India. This kind of work is a lost art, and as far as I know, hasn't been seriously done for many decades, unless others think I am mistaken on that.
1: Well, I do think that you are mistaken on that. I know he's mistaken on that. The re-perforators and the re-backers are out there in force, and they're doing all sorts of funky stuff with stuff.
3: Oh, absolutely. I... I have been aware of certain people that actively seek out card proofs so that they can alter them and make them look like stamps.
1: You know, a, a long time ago, and I thought it was Schiff, but I spoke with him and he goes, no, you didn't hear that from me. You heard it from somebody else. But I'm going, So I don't know who told me this, but it was a major auction company. And they said about one third of all the f- mint $5 Colombians that they have seen one third of mint five dollar Colombians were actually repaired uh, faked proofs that's that's a lot that's something you got to watch for
3: well anecdotal experience is the number I've looked at and I would say that number is probably topped two to three thousand mm-hmm. mint five dollar colombians that doesn't include the other dollar values just the five dollars mm-hmm. That I have actually handled. Actually Uh, touched. Yes. I would say that that is a far too high number. Oh. (laughs) Um,
1: But it's not zero.
3: It's not zero. I would say more likely you're going to find that they are reperforated on one edge because they used to be straight edge copies rather than uh, having been a shaved down proof because it's much less work to reperforate one side than it is to shave it and re-perforate all four sides. Although the money to be made mm. by the faker is significantly more with a shaved proof.
1: Well, a while ago, a five-dollar Colombian proof card proof was thirty bucks, and a mint Colum- or a mint five-dollar Colombian was twelve hundred dollars. That was four grand. 4 grand. <laughs> no, no, no. This was this was a oh, while, a while ago. ago. I mean, today even today a uh, $5 card proof is still relatively cheap, but it's still I think today it's like a couple hundred bucks. It's not much. It's not much. It, they're still a big thing, but why don't you talk to people about what the heck rebacking and shaving is?
3: Well, shaving Ooh, is.
1: Rebacking and shaving. Weren't we talking about that earlier?
0: No, you were talking about shaving back. <laughs>
3: uh, well, shaving, <laughs> is, shaving is something that's it's just like what it sounds. You take a, a card proof, uh, which is basically uh, a proof printed on cardboard, thin cardboard. And what you're doing is you're sanding it, basically. You take a very fine sandpaper or something abrasive, and you basically sand the back of the proof to make it thinner. So you're actually just shaving off bits of paper off of the back. That's what it it is what it sounds like. Play it on card is currently 375. Yeah, there you go. And so it's something that is difficult to do convincingly because it's hard to get the thickness uh, consistent throughout the entire item. You when you when you dip it in uh, fluid uh, lighter fluid, watermark fluid, whatever your choice is, uh, it generally appears as a blotchy item, whereas a stamp or uh, an unaltered proof would have a uniform thickness and therefore appear uniform in the fluid. So uh, I have only seen, and this is not just five dollar clumies, but I've only seen one or two shaved proofs that pass the dip test yeah, They're, that are, are really convincingly well done. They're generally fairly easy to tell as long as you dip it. Uh, the other thing is the difference between a proof and a regular issued stamp is the proofs have such high relief, clear uh, printing in the fine details. The lines are well-defined and well-inked. Nowhere. And everywhere on a proof and frequently nowhere on a regular issue stamp. So to to make that uh, proof into a regular, uh, to look like a regular stamp, not only do you have to thin the paper so that the paper looks right, then you have to add perforations and you have to add gumming if you're gonna call it a
1: unused stamp. And then rebacking for the India proofs?
3: Now re-backing, and this is done f- with, even just with regular stamps, to it's a part of a repair process. Say you have a large tear and you don't want it to, to propagate through the rest of the stamp. Uh, sometimes you can get a stamp rebacked, and they use a very thin rice paper uh, that uh, is used in conservation. Uh, a lot of times you'll see it in con- conservation of books and documents and things like that where uh, it adds strength to the paper uh, you also see it sometimes when you have uh, rare documents mounted in framed is they they'll put a backing on it, either a rice paper or some sort of linen backing to strengthen the item before they mount it in the frame. And but this rice paper is extremely thin and extremely delicate. It's, I mean, think tissue paper of tissue paper. <laughs> I mean, it is literally that thin. Um, but then it is pasted on the back of the stamp, and then the perforations are either recut or completely redone. And
1: uh, so it does have a certain look. Yeah, these are the people who do it right. The people who do it wrong just take a stamp and glue it to another piece of paper.
3: Right. Uh, well, sometimes you can reback it. Uh, I've seen stamps rebacked with another stamp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes because part of the design's missing and it fills into the design. Sometimes it's just to make the margins larger. Uh, there, there are many different reasons. Um, the proper reason is for conservation and that would always be disclosed on a sale. And so you're knowingly buying a stamp that has been repaired. Uh, but a lot of times these things uh, when they change hands, uh, you know the collector buys it or has it restored. But then the person selling it is an heir or somebody like that, and they don't know. And so it just kind of passes on, and that passes out of knowledge. Now these things are out there being Fake. sold yeah. as genuine yeah. when they're truly been genuine but repaired or
1: altered. Tom, what's a uh, India proof on a $5 Colombian? What is ad capital?
2: Large die on India is eleven fifty. Yeah.
3: That's a large die. We're looking for a plate proof on India
2: played on India 525.
1: So, 475 for a card and 525 375 or 375. You know, again, I'm talking about, you know, maybe a decade or more ago, these were much much cheaper. Today, you know, there's there's still a profit to be made though, you know, well, turning but, a,
2: but I looked up while I was in there, I looked up um I mean a Never Hinge 245 right now is listed in the catalog at 10,000.
1: Yeah. So there's still a huge, huge, huge profit. But in the olden days, you know, like I said, you know, 20, 30 years ago, these card proofs were literally, you know, $40. The olden days, back when rocks were soft. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and Kaz was just a
1: teenager. <laughs> oh. Okay, so I guess what just we're Just tell saying, the kids to get off your yard. If if you see mint $5 Colombians, um, just remember that this stuff is done and if you're buying a $5 Mint Colombian, yeah, you should probably have a cert. Well,
3: well we've we talked a lot about uh, altering proofs to to make a, a mint stamp. Uh, at least on the $5 Colombian, there are uh, actual fake Colombians out there. The design is uh, much less defined and it's, oh, yeah. If, if you really, if you look at the design, you can kind of tell. They are lithographed. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're just kind of glancing at it,
1: yeah, it could pass. What I'm seeing is that the $5 Colombian and the $1 Cattle in the Storm, because they are black, you can print them on a printer. Well, they're and more you,
3: convincing because black is
1: yeah, it's more convincing. readily available. And so you, you see these they're not very good because they're usually on wrong paper and the ink is incredibly glossy. So they're not good counterfeits, but I, I have seen quite a few of these and not to rag on eBay, but eBay, you know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta take care. Cause I've seen a number of these black stamps with fake perforations being sold, you know, for stupid prices.
2: Well, but eBay is not going to know. It's not like they have a stamp expert on staff.
1: Yeah, yeah. ma'am. And the
2: amount of time you would have to spend if you were one looking at the hundreds of thousands of listings they have.
1: Well, the other thing, too, is eBay has huge protection now. True. You know, if you buy a fake stamp and you detect it's fake, you know, you get your money back. The the the
2: hitch is if you don't. We keep talking about alteration, like rebacking and shaved proofs and stuff, but I think also you see a lot on the, like you said, the two ninety two and the two forty five, since they're both black stamps, is I you tend to printer. see a lot of, <laughs> um, removed cancels mm-hmm. and regummed mm-hmm. because it's a lot harder to see a black cancel on a black stamp like yep. that, and then someone does a good regumming job, looks like a never hinged stamp.
1: Oh, you know, uh, this was a person walked into our lobby here at PSE, and uh, they were saying, hey, what's this? And they showed me this lot, and the picture was a really, really super nice number 22 with a graded PSE cert. And And I said, oh, that's interesting. He goes, no, 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 wait. And he swipes. And again, it's that guy who has like a half a million dollars worth of stamps. You know, he had like, Uh, he had a c3a he had the 1869 set complete mint all this stuff and he started at like a dollar 99 and he goes what's with this guy and i go i don't know i reported him to ebay he's still there you know doing this stuff so i don't know what's going on there but he's uh out there he's in france and uh whatever you know watch out it's the wild west Get hurt that's not the west yeah, well, it's the the wild, wild west of Europe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anonymous asks, In one of your podcasts, you talk about a stamp album from Mystic Stamps. Is that a beginner or advanced album? And do collectors usually use albums? I, I want an answer to this one because I'm thinking about getting one for Evelyn.
3: Ah, well, there are lots of different album choices out there. And so I will kind of focus more in on U.S. stamps with my comments uh, and albums. But um, there are choices all over the place for both U.S. and foreign stamps. Um, so the the Mystic stamp albums in particular are hingeless albums, which means they, already co- they come with mounts already in them. I love hingeless so albums. That, so that you just add your stamps and away you go. No messing with hinges, no messing with... Mounts, no ha- having to find the right size mount or cutting your mounts to size or anything like that. The, I, I reviewed the album for Mystic, shout out to Don Sundman. Uh, I reviewed the uh, album for him a number of years ago when it first came out, and I was very impressed with the quality. I would say that it is uh, easily an intermediate level product. It comes in uh, multiple volumes obviously but, uh, the, the pictures were clear. It had, uh, it was very well organized. Uh, I oh, hope that was a great album. There, there was, yeah. there was one issue I had with it and I hope they've corrected it. I found a stamp that wasn't in the album. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure they just missed it by accident, but, um, I, and I hope they corrected that page, but, uh,
1: it wasn't 476A, was
3: it? No, it was uh, 319. Oh, okay. They, they had a space for the imperf 320, but not for the perforated 319. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, other than that little hiccup, and I only re- looked at the, the first volume, which is probably, my guess would be one of the more popular volumes if you're going to collect and limit yourself to the older stamps. That's what you would choose, Um But I was very impressed with the quality. And like I said, I would recommend that for an intermediate level collector, one who's looking for one of each and uh, is not particularly, they're not chasing after things like plate blocks and plate varieties and things like that that would be for a more advanced collector. Now certainly you could get that and graduate by adding your own pages with uh, more material. You could certainly do that. But I think it's a little bit too comprehensive for a beginner collector. And it and like I said, it does – the older uh, – the early volume, the volume one is, is obviously more – you're going to have more money in it because the stamps are older and they are valued more.
1: Well, the reason I like it, it's a three-ring normal binder. Yes. That is. is massively fantastic.
3: Right. And and I would put this on a, on a par level almost with the with the national album, and I would prefer it to the national album because it comes with mounts. Right. Well, um, but the
1: national album, you know, you have you, you can't just put but, pages in it.
3: Right, but the national album does come with a choice of three ring or two post. Oh, it does. Yes, oh, y- okay. you can get it either way. But the national album, you they also have uh, expansion. Uh, things that you can add, things like booklet pane pages and mm-hmm. revenue pages and things like that that don't come with the reg the basic album packages. So the national album is expandable as you expand and through your collecting experience to these other formats, which the the mystic album didn't have. Uh, they did have spaces for coil pairs, I believe, but um, pairs, line pairs, wh- whatever you choose to put in those spots. As well as uh, I don't recall if they had uh, pages for both the single stamp and the pairs. I'm not. I don't recall off the top of my head. Uh, but you know, that's something additional you should look at uh, for a beginner or a younger collector. I would suggest uh, either a Liberty album or a Minuteman album. These are a Liberty album is going to be small, probably paperback. A Minuteman album is going to have a binder, and it's but it's going to be a bit more comprehensive. But it's still going to be, it's going to focus more on the, uh, the late, early 20th, early more on the 20th century than uh, the Liberty album is just going to be the most popular, the most common stuff. Mm-hmm. There aren't going to be a lot of spaces for less common material, Yeah, which I, is why it's good for a younger collector because that's when, you know, when you're younger, you're not as dexterous and you don't uh, necessarily have access to. A lot of money to buy stamps. You get what people give to you, which it tends to be the most common material anyway, and so that's what I would recommend for a younger collector. If you are an adult collector just starting out, uh, Minute Man album is a good choice, although it is. As I recall, they have double-sided pages. No, no, Minut- no, Minuteman no. doesn't have double-sided do pages, yeah. which is which is something that you should look yeah. for. Avoid double-sided uh, avoid pages. Avoid double-sided mm-hmm. pages because when you mount stamps facing each other like that, unless you put uh, glassine interleaving. They fight. Yeah, the perforations tend to grab when they're opposite, and you can tear stamps and you can tear them off the pages and things like that. And
1: the biggest stamps tend to win.
3: <laughs> they well the the stamps if they're large they can uh, pull the hinges right off the page because they're heavy mm-hmm. and they flap every time you open the page they flap open they get cre- are prone to creasing so uh, larger larger stamps should have uh, some kind of mount rather than just hinges um, it, whatever album you choose uh, simply for protection.
1: Well, we had the we sort of addressed that we had the USD album. Well, pages well that's that that's we had.
3: more of um, which, well, if you compare it to it's it's a type collection, which is kind of how coin collectors collect, right? Uh, until you get into the real money, and then they start collecting tiny varieties of of the basic designs.
1: Well, the thing is, uh, for the with the USD collection pages. Um, a beginner, you know, he, he will have the first 10 pages and he'll have, you know, like five stamps on the first 10 pages. And then after that, it'll be fairly complete on uh, like a if you get him on an, an advanced album, you know, the first 100 pages. Might have five stamps. Might have five stamps on them. And they yeah. look at it and go, well, this is depressing. I'm not going to collect this. That's one of the things that, you know, German collectors, Austrian collectors, they have, and I, I address those two only because I know people. Um, they started like 1947. They start with the new Germany. Right. So from 1947 to today, they don't have a lot of expensive stuff.
3: Well, that's one of the nice things about the Mystic album is it's split up into seven or eight different parts. Right, yeah. And you don't have to start with volume one, yeah. which runs through don't. the 1930s. I would recommend start with volume two, three, four, something other than that where the material is fairly common, fairly inexpensive, and, and
1: you can find it. Well, we were discussing today about... N- Yeah. People starting stamp collecting. I would love to see, and you know, you'd have to sort of fix it, but I'd love to see a stamp collecting album that starts a hundred years ago. It starts with the stamps from a hundred years ago. (laughs) And that has a nice name to it. You know, a hundred years ago, it's a nice round number and stuff, but you're starting at 1917. You know, there are some expensive stamps that, you know, you're not going to have. But very quickly, you're going to have everything, and you can start really collecting. Well,
3: the nice thing is if you start at 1922, yeah. that, that's it's a good point because the Washington Franklins are done, and that's when the fourth bureau yeah. issues
1: start in the ni- early 1920s. So in 1922, we can have a hundred year, and that's what. But when you it's, it's really almost a hundred
3: years, yeah. and and from that point on is actually very doable with a handful. I mean, you'll have. Have a handful of stamps, not only as a beginner collector you can't find, you can't find them in a, as an advanced collector. Yeah. Let alone, you know, well, most people can't afford them.
1: You've got the rotary waste. Yeah, because you've got the you Zeps. Know. So that's like well, but Zeps, eight stamps, Zeps, Zeps
3: are affordable. And, you know, yeah. as a beginner collector, you're not going to spend, you know, that much money to buy a Zeppelin set. But eventually, as you move into intermediate level, Zeps are an intermediate level yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Because now you're going to spend a little bit of more money, but you're going to get stuff that is um,
1: expensive but not rare. Yeah, there's only about 10 stamps that right. an intermediate collector will not have, and that's pretty good. Well,
3: that's not necessarily true because a lot of these modern varieties are difficult to find,
1: and primarily because dealers don't carry the stamps but that's the thrill of the hunt that's what's going to get them right and that's what gets you hooked the game, yeah
3: that's what gets you hooked is trying to find all these modern stamps because you go to a show and the dealers don't carry it because there's uh the profit margin just isn't there for right. them to be right. to be economically feasible to do that to bring it to a show but you go to a show and you meet other collectors you meet dealers who are willing to do mail order they have material at home that they can go through that they're willing to to do, uh, but they just can't afford to bring it to the show because it doesn't make sense.
1: Well, I had a Scott's Platinum album. So Plat- that, that's yeah. why you go to the shows. I had Scott's Platinum album. Mm-hmm. And uh, volume number two, I collected used. collect uh, Completing volume number two in used condition was incredibly difficult. You know, finding the... 10 cent, you know, booklet pane stamp, you know, with a flag on it, finding it used, it's kind of tough. I mean, they're not, you know, it's a common stamp, but it's hard to find. And it really was a thrill of a hunt sort of thing.
3: Well, my, I mean, my thing is, um, I've gotten to such a point where if I'm looking for modern stamps, I see a booklet pane, I want the entire booklet pane and I want it used. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously you can't do that with self-adhesive stamps, <laughs> but, uh, with with the uh, lick and stick varieties, obviously that's much more difficult to find now. Unless you find it with a later usage as discount postage, we I see those all the time. But I want to make sure it has an in period cancel if I can read it, and so those can be extremely difficult to find. Yep. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my thoughts on albums. <laughs>
0: to send, them. To send them. we would like to thank the following for information used in this podcast Wikipedia and the great War on YouTube
1: fantastic series by
0: the way oh yes we love that series. Also check out good friend of the show, Tony Mancuso's website, BarneyStamps.com. He sells 19th and 20th century stamps at auction on eBay, with many starting as low as $1.99. And we invite you to check out StampFinder.com, the Bloomberg of philately, with great information on the stamps of the world and their values. Thank you for joining us for episode 116. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host, Dawn. Continue the conversation at Stamp Show Here Today on Facebook. You can ask us questions, see pictures of the stamps, make comments, and add to the conversation on Facebook. You can also ask the experts your stamp questions at, blue paper at gradingmatters.com. You can listen to all of our past podcasts at stampshowheretoday.com, Podbead.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, keep collecting.
3: This episode of Stampsure Here Today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets. The book that teaches you about repurfs, regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for
1: $10 at www.philatelicsecrets.com today.
0: No such number. No such